0: This episode was previously recorded during season one. The conversation with Savannah and Jen is still relevant, so we thought to publish it. Hope you enjoy.
1: Hey, it's Burton Shawla. And this is Savannah Hart, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. <laughs>
2: You PR professional, you're playing chess. I'm making a move, but I'm also thinking, what's your reaction? What are the possible moves that you can make in reaction to my move? So what could the media say? If I say X, what could they say back? And is it in support of the strategy that everyone is working on? If not, walk away.
0: This is The Black Box, a conversation with industry experts in the sports, media, music, entertainment world. This week's episode... Is the legend, Genevieve Asensio, director of public relations for PepsiCo, which includes Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew Rise, which has my guy LeBron James. Jen, thanks for joining the show. Good friend of mine. I forgot to mention that. Very good friend of mine. Jen, thanks for joining the show.
2: We're like an ah friend. (laughs) No. I mean, acquaintance. I (laughs) I know. I, I actually like.
0: It's hard, right? You you make real friends, you make kind of like colleagues, you make like fake friends. And I didn't know where it was going to go with Jen in the beginning. And Jen, I want you to tell the story because I I like, I think it's funnier the way you tell the story of how we met. But you know, like we kind of knew each other or knew of each other before that, me reaching out to you. I did not. Through a mutual friend of ours. I did not. Bert.
2: Okay. Oh, damn. I thought I was more famous than <laughs> So we're going to let Jennifer well, tell the story. Thank you. Hello, Savannah. You look gorgeous. If I knew thank we you, were going to do all that drip, I would have put on a shirt with a <laughs> collar or a dress or something like that um, and given you full-length Zoom situation. Um, I, yes, I am a PR director at PepsiCo, but... I do not work directly on Pepsi or Mountain Dew Rise. I work on Mountain Dew and Brisk. I just want to make that distinction in case any of my colleagues are listening sure. and think I'm trying to take credit for their work because it's amazing work. But anyways, so Burton and I met, and this is a this is a funny story because when you're an adult and you make new friends, in the beginning, at least I'm always cautious. I'm always like, this yep. person's not going to stick. Like you said, Burton, you never know which way it's going to go. Are you going to be just a, a colleague or are you... You know, never going to speak to each other right. again after a project wraps. And I met Burton eight years ago. And I know that because I tried to go back and look up the LinkedIn message that you sent me just to see how obnoxious it really was because it's obnoxious <laughs> in my memory. So I wanted to see how obnoxious it was. Yep. And how it happened is... I had just won, I was at a small PR, fashion PR agency, and I had just won the business to work on Li Ning, which is Dwayne Wade's uh, sneaker brand with a Chinese company called Li Ning. And they hired me and like within hours of winning the business, like I don't even know how Burton found out so fast because the ink wasn't even dry on the contract even. And I get a LinkedIn message and it pops up and it's like, Burton Chowla, you know, has a message. And I'm like, Oh, probably another stupid solicitation. And I click into it. And he's like, congratulations on winning the leaning business. Like, when can we link up or like something like that? You know, I know we're going to be working together soon. So like, let's, let's uh, chop it up. And I'm like, what, who is this guy? Right. So and I've been um, on,
0: I've been on retainer with them for three years at this point. That's like sort of how I knew you were leaning. Yeah. With leaning before they had Wade. but go ahead
2: so anyways he found out with lightning speed and precision with accuracy what the deal was reached out to me and in the beginning i was just like when my phone would ring or or i would get a text and would be burton i'd be like oh i forgot about this yes yeah like (laughs) what right that's right that's right i forgot because this man like he will text call email you with persistence i think Maybe it's your sales background, Burton, but like Burton is a G when it comes to getting that conversation. Mm -hmm. So he comes into, you know, I come onto Leaning and he approaches me, guns the blazing. We're going to get to know each other. You know, we go out to dinner. Long story short, you know, it went from a professional relationship where we're kind of partnering because you have to partner with everybody on on the business when you work on a brand it's you have to play nice in the sandbox and i just happened to get a really good friend out of it that's the only nice thing i'll say about you burton
0: so <laughs> i'll take a take take beat i will uh, let it, let it marinate right uh, i can't even let it marinate i gotta jump right in i will say that we worked well together right like she was hired to kind of handle like Dwayne was very conscious about i just don't want a sneaker Brand like I want to be very much in the lifestyle category, lifestyle, yeah. and that's why they hired a fashion PR firm. And I was more on the sports PR marketing US-based stuff. But and and he has a publicist, and he has a manager, and he yeah, has yeah. a day-to-day guy, and, and, and he, he has an yeah. agent. And we didn't even deal with Henry that much, but he had a, he had a, he had an agent too. Like so, there's a lot of like to Jen's point, a lot of moving parts to it. And I think we worked well together. I think you and I found ways to align on strategy find ways to align on execution we did the yacht party for his birthday like from that's part of it right like I think Jen I would say this about you Jen and not just because you're my friend but like I think we both care about the work and that was like the common denominator besides the fact that I was annoying to her like our common denominator is like we both want to do good work so
1: what was the role of the fashion PR in the whole leaning business
2: so I'll back up and and explain how we even came to uh, win that business. Yeah, and it and it kind of happened in one of those serendipitous ways that um, Lisa Joseph, who is by any stretch uh, Dwayne's right hand person mm-hmm. um, in a lot in a lot of ways, and she's an incredible in her own right. And we were at the time. My client was the Tie Bar, uh, the neckwear company. That's right. That's right. out of Chicago, and they hired Dwayne Wade to be their ambassador, the face of, for a year. And they were my client, so that means I was working with Dwayne as a spokesperson, booking media interviews, et cetera. And we had a media day in Chicago, so she got to see me in action all day long uh and after that she kind of you know she was asking some questions oh what else do you work on what kind of experience do you have would tell me more about your agency and I guess she liked what I did and the result of, of the work that the agency did because she then inquired if we would pitch for the leaning business which we did and we ended up winning it so my role the agency's role on leaning was to um like I do with all of my other brands be the the first line of defense be the person who helps craft the the narrative in the media to make sure that if people are talking about us they're saying the right things and by people i mean media bloggers and to maintain those those relationships so when there is a sneaker release that the right people at the right outlets uh, hear about it, write about it and eventually trickle down and and get to the consumer and perhaps affect sales even.
1: Did you have to also do that like within the China market and like was that difficult no. at all? Okay. No.
2: All
0: right. No, we didn't handle we didn't handle the Chinese stuff either. This was a group that was hired for American-based PR, marketing, all that Got stuff. Got it.
2: Got it. Okay. And it's pretty rare that you'll find an agency that will handle a global market because it's so media relations are so nuanced that they're going to be, sometimes you might even find someone who's got an agency that's regional that may work on Midwest uh, that may work just uh, in New York. And then you've got an LA agency so we did not. I would have been completely lost mm-hmm. if I had to pit, uh, pitch Chinese media.
0: Yeah, because the consumer is different, right? So yeah. like now you're, you're, yeah, you're dealing with the media, but you're dealing with the media who is uh, interfacing with the consumer, right? That's what they're reading. So it's way different. For sure. And China is literally a different planet. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, Even yeah. from a business yeah.
1: perspective, too. Like just doing business with them, yeah. like when you're in certain meetings, it's a completely different culture. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, Jen, you went from uh, boutique... Fashion PR Agency. firm yep. to mid-size global firm in Golan to now in-house PR in-house agencies. What you said to me on the phone. So tell me the difference between yep. working at a mid-size global firm versus a small boutique firm that specializes in fashion versus in-house. Like, tell me how how the seats are different. The viewpoints are different. Mm-hmm. And then I want to actually, I'll be honest, like I've been in this industry for 20 years and I don't even know what in-house agency means. So I want you to yeah. explain that definition to me. Like, what does that actually mean?
2: Yeah, I'll get to in-house agency. I feel like it's something that I say that explains the role a little bit, but not a lot of people use that that language. So I'll, I'll explain. Um, so yeah, I, I pretty much went from a small agency a tiny agency to a slightly larger to, like you said, a global agency to now an in-house role at PepsiCo, arguably one of the the most recognizable beverage brands on earth. <laughs> um, in case my boss is listening, <laughs> <laughs> let's sell some product. Uh, so when you're at a small agency, you wear every hat. Yeah, you have to and. I, I'm really grateful for having come from coming from a small agency because you have to know every side of the business. And when I was a young account executive coming up, I would sit with my client and I had to understand their business so intimately because I would sit in on their meetings. I would be there when they were, you know, doing sales calls. Uh, They would talk me through the technology of, of the product and everything was very hands on. So I was Checking people in at the door, knowing media's faces, knowing who to let in. That's the New York Times. Don't you dare let them wait. You better go grab them. It's raining. There's the Wall Street Journal. Go get them as they open the the taxi door and usher them in because they'll turn around and leave. And probably talk bad about you after. (laughs) Yeah. But I did everything from from writing press releases to, like I said, working the door to creating the strategies to flying to trade shows, helping choose celebrities to who were going to be the face of the brand doing celebrity seating, you do a little bit of everything. And it, there's a lot of scope creep when you're when you're a tiny agency. Um, but I love that I cut my teeth. Um, at a at an agency called the Bromley Group, I actually worked on Ugg boots. That was my one of my first brands that I worked on. So if you wear Ugg's, you're welcome because they, didn't even, <laughs> they weren't even a thing in the U.S. before right. the Bromley Group worked on them. Um, but if you hate them, well, I'm sorry. You guys did but, a good job because um,
1: they're ugly, but they're everywhere. <laughs>
2: everywhere, everywhere. Talk about a global like billion yeah. dollar brand now.
0: I would say I would say like before you get to the mid sized uh, global agency you worked at, like. I would tell anyone in this industry that has, like, good social skills or wants to be in a role that has social skills and building relationship, work the fucking door at events. Work like, the door. Yeah, work the – I've really? worked the door before. And first of all, you're the gatekeeper into the event. Yeah. So everybody loves you, right? Yeah and now and to your point Jen now you know what every I mean yes of course you can Google and look up what somebody looks like but like now you know them and you let them in and there isn't that moment even if the moment is like less than 20 seconds it is a moment of like I let you in like
1: 100 like,
0: percent Sav you know I'm like close with Lance Fresh right mm-hmm. which you know mutual friend of ours I met him working Hello, the door Lance. at a real, really a great guy like I, yeah. I, he was at the Li Ning event in uh, Houston like that's the, the event that we did together like that I Met him. Actually, no. I don't think you were were you on then? No, you weren't yeah. on the. You weren't on yet. But f- uh, February 2013, I had to go get Lance to get him in. Like literally, working the door is it's night and day. It, you should do it at some point in your career because. The, the relationship building at that moment is like none other. Because they're trying
2: to get into the party, yeah. right?
0: Like Or That's the event or whatever it is, right? So anyways, continue, point. Jen. Sorry.
2: And there's a part, there's a part of you that will never stop working the door. Because when I go to an industry event yep. and there's a super long line, you're going to text your guy or your girl who's inside to say, can you come get yeah. me, please? No, 100. You know, so I'm this would happen in Charlotte for of our weekend. I was
0: texting you. you. You had the Mountain Dew event, and I was like, Jen, I ain't waiting in the line. Like I told you he, that straight he up.
2: Definitely right? did that. Yeah, Savannah. He gave me like 95. Sec- he never. He didn't even wait. He didn't even give me 95 seconds to get to the door. I was like, surprised. I'm not waiting in <laughs> this I'm line. I'm not
1: surprised. Yeah. He's like, I'm out.
2: I'm leaving. Yeah. And I got to the door, and he was like, Oh, I left. I'm gonna i I'm in an Uber already. No, Seriously, I think I went. I, no, I, I think I
0: went next door and got oysters. Actually, there was like a bar that had oysters. I was like, "Fucking, I'm going to." Oh,
2: eat yes, that's what it was. And yeah. you're like, "Come join me for oysters." I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm waiting for me literally to get the <laughs> so I can't exactly leave my job right now." But yeah. enjoy your oysters. Um,
0: all right, so Golden Harris, global midsize agency. Yes, What's the yes. difference? Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, working the door is very important. And like you said, people kind of, they start to remember you and other people who maybe you don't know, start to see you as the gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, And there's like a little bit of importance that that comes with that. And it's, it's definitely key to relationship building and, and all that good stuff. So when I got to Golan, here's when I realized, well, in between there were a couple of jobs in between, but going from a small to mid-sized at Golan, I didn't ever work a door at Golan. Um, and one of the moments that I realized that, hey, you're not in Kansas anymore and you're not in this little small town anymore, in this small agency, is when we did an event. We worked on a an, a huge event for DAZN. Um yep. The, the boxing, the sports uh, broadcasting online company. And uh, it was enormous. We had, you know, Joshua Anthony was there. Eddie Hearn was there. So if you follow boxing at all, these are like huge, huge names. Right. So every boxing media, blogger, you name it, was trying to get in the building. Uh, and every time I checked to see, and I was – mid, not not senior, senior, but I was pretty senior at Golan. Um, every time I checked to see if a, if a job was being done, I would run over and say, do you need me to do X, Y, Z? And there would be somebody there going, nope, I got it. Like there's somebody for everything. Mm-hmm. And you have already rehearsed this event 60 times sideways. You've done 10 run-throughs and it works like a machine. Not to say that the smaller agencies don't work like a machine, but like I said, you have to wear a hundred hats. So yeah. you might be working, right, the door, not much, but not as also, much manpower,
0: not as much manpower or like workforce, right?
2: Right. Right. So I, I, you know, I might be working the door, but also responsible for, um, okay, this, the CEO just got there and escorting him to a seat, uh, or her to her seat, or, you know, this media just got there now go, um, escort them to do backstage interviews. You're, you might wear a lot of different a lot of different hats so at Golan Harris I worked that's where I worked on Mountain Dew I worked on brands like the zone and, and L'Oreal. Um, it was very heavily focused on strategy and creative work. so I got to laser focus in on that which was pretty cool. And there's a part of me that kind of missed the hustle and the bustle and the events and the being at the door and the schmoozing and, and all that fun stuff. But it was a part of, you know, a muscle in my career that I really got to flex and, and get stronger.
0: And now in-house agency, like tell us what that and means. And now, well,
2: now- And did they pluck I'm, you?
0: Did they pluck, were you like at Golan and Mountain Dew's like, we need this person? Is that how that went down?
2: Yeah, yeah, I actually was pretty lucky because in-house is like the coveted role. Everybody wants to eventually end up in-house because one, there's a misconception that once you get in-house, you're just like skating by, you don't have to do a lot of work. You got agencies who are doing everything for you. And now you're the client and you get to tell people what to do.
1: Can we define in-house really quickly?
2: Sure. Sure. So in, in my in-house role means that I directly work for PepsiCo. Um, My check comes from PepsiCo. I have Mm -hmm. a PepsiCo email address. When Burton and I were working on Leaning, we were not part of the Leaning company. We were contractors who Mm -hmm. were servicing Leaning. We were not part of the company. So now at PepsiCo, I work directly for PepsiCo and I only work on PepsiCo brands. I only service PepsiCo brands. I work on Brisk and I work on, on Mountain Dew.
1: So it's is it an in-house agency or are you technically an employee of PepsiCo?
2: I'm an employee of PepsiCo. And the reason I say we operate like an in-house agency mm-hmm. is because I don't just work on one brand. I do work on multiple Multiple brands, so the the cadence and the feel of being in house at PepsiCo sort of feels like it has the the hustle of of being at an agency. So there are in house agencies. We do have an in house social media agency, which means you have a full on agency that uh, operates just within the confines of your company. Is
0: that a separate company?
2: It, they have a separate name. You know, it, it gets. Yep. If you ask me to explain it any further than that, I'm Probably not can't. sure how it No, heard, no, but... I get it.
0: Nike does that kind of stuff yeah, too. Yeah, right?
1: Chase has an in-house creative too. Right. As well. Right.
0: Like Nike has what they call Waffle House now. So like that's their content oh, I like team. That. Yeah, that's their content team. So, um, yeah, I get. I, I get it. When you explained it like that, I get it. Um, Jen, I I don't know how to do this in a subtle way, and I know you hate when I describe it this way. But I think we're talking about all of the different types of roles that you've played. And I know it's not a Jay Z story, but I need you, I need you to tell me. She's got a great, for lack of a better way of describing it, and Jen hates it when I describe it this way, but you have a great Jay Z story. And I mean, the learning lesson is not about Jay Z, but I don't know how else to describe this. Like, can you just tell us this Jay Z story? This is good for SEO, for us, for people to start listening to this pod.
2: I actually have a couple of, of
1: Ooh, Jay-Z stories. Like, which one? Which one? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that.
0: I didn't know you had a few, but I do. tell us your best Jay-Z story. How about that?
2: i tell, tell you my best Jay-Z story. Okay, I'm going to tell you the most appropriate because I'm such a fantastic... Narrative driver as a communications professional. I'll pick the most appropriate one for, for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll save one for when we actually clink glasses again because the last time yeah. I saw this man in person was at All-Star in Charlotte. 2020 before shit hit the fan on earth.
0: But yes, we will have drinks soon. So tell tell a Jay-Z tell an appropriate Jay-Z story now and an inappropriate Jay-Z story over drinks in person.
2: Um, <laughs> yes, inappropriate to come soon. I worked at Iconics. It was in between... Actually, a boomerang to factory PR, which was the mid-size agency, the small agency boutique agency where I worked on Name, And I left to go to Iconics. Iconics owned the license. They had just purchased the license for Rockaware for an exorbitant amount of money. Go um, go Jay. You know, he right. at the time I only called him Mr. Carter. So that's why I kind of stumbled to say Jay, because Now I'm in professional mode and I only (laughs) ever said Mr. Carter when I referred to him. And this was around the time that there were all those protests at, uh, Zuccotti park in New York. And it was a a movement was starting called Occupy wall street. I don't know if you, you guys remember, of course. Um, but it was, it was news everywhere. Um, People were just sick of greedy bank institutions, corporate America, and they were making noise about it. And it was really concentrated in New York. And the slogan or one of the slogans or messages for um, the movement was Occupy Wall Street which they literally did. People went and lived in Zuccotti park and they went and they tried to shut down the streets in wall street. And it was very serious to, to a lot of people and media was paying a lot of attention to it. And Rockaware, which I was the PR director for one of the brands I was PR director for designed a shirt that said, occupy all streets So it said Occupy Wall Street and then the W was crossed out in red and then S was added at the end of street. So it made it very, you know, hip hop Mm -hmm. and very rock aware. And Business Insider caught wind of this shirt and they emailed me and said, is this shirt in support of Occupy Wall Street? And God, I don't even remember the exact quote anymore, but I wrote up a quote and shared it with my boss and said, "Hey, this is this is the answer to this uh, media's question. Um, I think we should attribute it to Mr. Carter. That's who they're addressing. He sent it to Mr. Carter. He approved the quote." Um, You know, sent a very colorful email back as to why he agreed. And that was a moment in my career that I was like, yo, I just wrote a quote (laughs) for Sean Carter and he approved it. This is crazy, Ah!" right? Like for years I walked around with this like folded, the email printed out and folded in my notebook, like tucked in and went everywhere with this notebook. Because back then you just wrote everything down in a notebook. I think I just recently threw it away when I moved and now I regret it. Cause I forget, I forgot that printed out email. Was yeah. In there. Yeah. Yeah. And the email,
0: the significance of the email is the swag, right? Like you wrote something that Jay-Z himself approved, right? The fact not that he responded. Not a single change. Right. Right.
2: Not a single change. That's fire. But don't, let's not get too happy, right? Like chill out Icarus. It's about to go down. So I send the answer back to business insider and I'm like, this is gonna be good. Such a good answer. So intellectual. And like, yeah, they wrote an article, and essentially um things blew up because they attacked, they attacked the brand and they attacked Jay-Z for profiting off of a movement and not one part of the question was: is this, does this t-shirt give the proceeds back to? Occupy Wall Street and the answer was no It was a for profit t-shirt Fashion design And they really stuck With that and ran with it and said You know he's a a multi Multi millionaire just had this incredible Deal if you google it now you'll still Find it there it's buried Deep in the internet but It's still there that uh, You know he was profiting off of This very serious movement where there were a lot of people who had lost tons of money and he maybe was part of the 1%. He was part of the 1% right. of people who were super rich and uh, part of the problem.
1: And as a as a PR person, how did you kind of put that fire out or could you well, not listen, at that point? Listen.
2: Number one, the the lesson that I learned from that moment was that you do not have to answer every question. There is power in silence. And yeah. I've taken that lesson into negotiations, into how I perform in meetings, uh, and how I deal with my clients. I, I was also a Mark Echo's PR person for a while. And, um, you know, you don't have to answer everything because you have to think about the repercussions of what might happen with that answer. So being a PR PR professional, you're playing chess. Mm -hmm. I'm making a move, but I'm also thinking, what's your reaction? What are the possible moves that you can make in reaction to my move? So what could the media say? If I say X, what could they say back? And is it really in support of the narrative that I've built for the year? Is it in support of the strategy that Mm -hmm. everyone is working on? If not, walk away. So me now, I would have ignored that email. I never would have answered it. He never would have even known that someone approached us to ask that question because I'm wiser now. And I know that silence is okay. They may have still written something. They may have still said, hey, this t-shirt is for sale. We're not sure if it's profiting. We're not sure what the message is supposed to be, but here's what we think. Yeah, Um, And that would have been way less... Uh, salacious than than giving them an actual quote.
0: I so. couldn't agree with you more theoretically. I just have a hard time with silence personally, right? Like, I don't, I'm not great at the shut the fuck you're up. You're
1: also not a PR person, you're a sales person. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so it makes sense.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. Um, but it works for you. It works for you, Burton. Yeah. I Sometimes. do know that when you are negotiating, if you just talk all the time, you'll never know what you can actually get. People are, afraid of silence no doubt Theory. that's why it works Theory. that's why it 1000 yeah. i couldn't agree with you
0: more theoretically like and i'm i'm good at giving that advice to people like i say it to people all the time like when they're getting like all frantic they didn't respond to me i'm like chill your silence your non-response to them is working in your favor just yeah. chill out Especially in person. Yes.
2: And and we're not talking about awkward silence. Like you should be filling this talk time. Like in an interview, like silence doesn't always work in your favor. But when you're negotiating your salary, if you just say, hey, this is my requirement. And this is what it would take for me to consider the role. You don't need to say, well, because, you know, I'm really worth it. And because, uh, (laughs) you know, I at my other role, I got this and X, Y, Z, just stay focused. And if you've said what you need to say, that that's all. It's good enough.
1: A lot of times people say like, all press is good press. So in the fact that Business Insider blew that up, and now everyone's talking about it, were you still kind of like going crazy about it? Or were you like, or was at least Jay-Z like, was he like, well, you know, we're still getting press, like people are talking about us. This is good
2: no (laughs) she's like that level of fame Mm. and to that level in business you don't need the press true that's true like there are people who just stop doing interviews like beyonce doesn't do interviews like you're not going to get her for you know a cover story of a magazine that it just almost doesn't happen number one they start to feel like I've everything I need to say I've already said. Number mm-hmm. two, now social media is a huge platform for most celebrities. So they almost don't have to go to the media to tell the story that they want to tell. They just tell it on their platform. So does
0: that, as a communications professional that said that out loud, Like, do you have apprehension about the industry, about your role? I mean, I guess you work at a brand that will always have a PR department, but I mean... No. No. definitely
2: not. Uh, because not everyone is a, is a natural storyteller, number one. And number two, even if you don't go to the media directly to the media, the media is going to write about you. There has to be some sort of access, Liaison, assets, whether it all be that video, stuff, yeah. whether it be photos, you have to have a relationship with the media. So even if you go directly to the fans, I'm not saying the media will ever be replaced or go away. Um, we still need them to tell, to tell these stories, to reach different types of audiences um, and to validate the stories because the, the power of having a, a legacy media entity, right. You know, legacy media in sports might be sports illustrated or, or PSPN. ESPN, right. Like they've been around forever. You know, if they write a story, you know, if they co-sign something that there's some credibility there. So a celebrity could squawk all they want about something, about themselves, about a project, it's called promotion. But then when you have the buy-in of the media, now that that becomes press. So uh, I'm not worried uh, about my role per se, but there are changes that are happening in, in, our, in our industry. And some of those changes are being driven by celebrities, athletes, musicians, For example, we've got Naomi Osaka, who do you guys remember when she posted on Instagram, like she didn't go to the media to make this announcement. She went directly to her Instagram and she said that she was not going to be doing press at, I believe, the French Open. Yeah,
1: it was the French Open.
2: Or French Open and beyond,
1: after everyone was, after everyone came after her saying that she wasn't going to do press for a mental health standpoint, she felt like it was just a distraction for her at mental that health. point. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so then she felt like it was just a distraction. And then she withdrew from the entire tournament.
2: I mean, boss move. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think as a, as a woman and Naomi is half Haitian, her father is Haitian and mm-hmm. I'm Haitian. So, you know, right. we've got that going for us. Um, when, when I read the statement, I, my first reaction was good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Right. You know, you have to, you have to prioritize yourself. I talk about self-care a lot and, you know, making sure that your mental is good. Mm-hmm. Long are long gone are the days where people or where I would expect for someone to keep pushing and driving through, even though they are are not feeling okay or they're not doing okay so we actually have to practice taking care of and respecting people's mental health.
0: I mean, I did I did a 12-part series, 12-part part podcast series with Aaron Gordon and the genesis of the podcast, the genesis of the podcast was mental health. Like mm-hmm. he yeah, came yeah. to me and said, "Burton, I want to do a podcast, but I don't want to talk about basketball. I want to talk about meditation, I want to talk about mental health." Now it evolved into talking about race and religion mm-hmm. and politics but the 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 starting point for Aaron was that which he really, really cares about his mental health, and this is a twenty five year old NBA player, so yeah. like
1: yeah, it's prominent in all in all sports and all industries, yep, but yep. for like if something like this is actually a trend where you know players are you know missing games for personal reasons or not doing media for mental health reasons, is that a concern for you from a PR standpoint
2: well. Number one, I work for an organization that we, that as an employee, I feel like my mental health is valued. Mm -hmm. So the way an organization treats its employees, I find is how they are going to treat the external, their external partners. 100%. We have at PepsiCo from any, I mean, you're talking, PepsiCo is everything from Gatorade to Doritos to... Um, Life Water, Aquafina, Bubbly—you name it. So there are tons of celebrity partners, athlete partners that work with PepsiCo. So there's no way that we, I would ever advise to execute a contract to the detriment of your partner's mental health. Yep, it's never written. I don't know of it being written into a contract. I feel like the next step might be for athletes to write in a clause to say, I want my mental health uh, considered when creating a schedule, when considering what my obligations might have to be. So to back it up a little bit, when a celebrity is hired by a brand – you're really trying to tell a story. The celebrity wants the story told too. That's why they, you know, you get into a mutually beneficial relationship with with a brand and you might do a commercial, you might do a media day, meaning we've booked your time. The brand has booked your time for eight hours, 12 hours for you to talk to different media about what project you're working on with said brand. So that is part of what makes these relationships so powerful and what makes brands want these relationships, because you have this mouthpiece now, this powerful, um, really well-known bold face name, who's going to help you shine light on the project that you're working on together. So now when that celebrity or athlete or bold face name comes back and says, Hey, I'm calling mental health and I can't do or I, I won't do these these media interviews today, You one, you, you got to respect it. You can't push and say, hey, well, don't you think you can rally for, for? that's the opposite of, of caring about mental health, right? Like, can you rally for three hours? Can you just do the important one?
0: Yeah, I think part of the problem is as a society, whether it's American society or capitalist society, we haven't caught up. And I mean, we as a group, I mean, obviously there's individuals that are very thoughtful about this.
1: But Obviously yeah. international too, right? Cause you pull out of the French open.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I, I think we as a society, sure. I think we as a society. The
2: sports, the sports entities. Right. Yeah. I think absolutely. we just haven't
0: caught up to the fact that this is a, for lack of a better or more t- articulate way of saying it, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. This is not like, you know, like, you know, Savannah's, you know, Significantly younger than you and I, Jen. Like when I was growing up, like this nobody. Excuse me. I, yeah, <laughs> you?
1: I'm
0: young and fresh. Yeah, you are,
1: and, and do flawless. Do you see that skin? And do flawless. you see the skin? Yeah, skin's <laughs> unbelievable.
0: We should just freeze free frame that skin, right? That's part of the podcast. I know. I know. um <laughs> So, like as a society, we just haven't, and, and I'm, and I'm not absolving anyone at all. I'm just matter of factly saying. just We haven't caught up to it, right? Like, uh, you can withdraw from a sporting event if you have a physical injury, right? But you get critiqued if you have a mental sort of relapse or, um, you know, you're going through something emotionally or mentally, right? The mental health aspect of it. The physical health aspect of it, everyone can understand, right?
2: Or even... I'll, I'll even take it a step further, B. Like... Even if you don't have something wrong from the wrong right quote fingers, Um, even if you're not withdrawing for mental health reasons, not something wrong, you're you're criticized. Like think about Kyrie Irving saging himself and saging the court before he gets on and plays, and how people talked so much smack about that. That's weird. What's that all about? What like, this is so, Mm -hmm. you know, crunchy and like, what, what's he doing? And it's like, what does it really matter? What, he, what he's doing? He's doing something that is centering himself from a mental standpoint. It's not a stretch that you can see that you understand, but it's something that he does that works for him, that works for his mental space. And athletes, that comes at a premium. So you don't even have to say, I'm not doing something because I'm prioritizing my mental health. You can say I'm prioritizing my mental health and people will still not understand. Yeah. 100%. That goes to what I'm saying. We we
0: haven't like, we're not like emotionally mature about this yet. Again, as a society, individually, I think we are, but like as a society, we're not mature about this. Like that's an immature response.
1: Even, even when, when someone is like, okay, I'm calling out for personal reasons, but yet we've accepted load management, right? Like a, like a player is sitting out because, um, We want to make sure that his physical body is good for playoffs. In the same instance, the player is sitting out, but the reason for some reason is causing an uproar. And again, science proves, and this is something that the NBA is implementing through like, you know, certain programs and stuff, but science proves that when your mental health or your sleep, anything is off, it actually will be you'll be more inclined to be physically impaired yeah, yeah. and you're more likely to get injured. Yeah. So if anything to my point it's like you're still you're still messing up your bottom line if we're just focusing on revenue. But Well, so here's the
0: flip side of it. So here's the flip side of it. I and so like my personal um Approach to this alliance with what you guys are saying. But if I put on my, and, and I'm not a publicist the same way Jen has, but I have PR, a PR yeah, background. But you get it. Yeah, and I, and I worked in PR. Like, listen, I worked in PR for the Knicks and I worked in PR yeah, yeah, for Li Ning, it. right? Like, I was hired to handle PR on that side of it. Um, the PR hat, but more importantly, the capitalistic hat, when I put that on, I, my response is, or the devil's advocate response is, Kyrie, you get in thirty million. You got to play eighty-two games a year, plus playoffs. That's a hundred games, hundred and ten games. There's three hundred and sixty-five days a year. If you don't want the responsibility of playing in these games,
2: come on, that doesn't even count practice.
0: And, and practice, no, no, it, it's a no, no. It's a real job. I'm not. I'm, listen, you know this. I work very closely with NBA players. I respect them. I respect all athletes. I respect all people in their real jobs, but. I'm saying the counter-argument is the reason you make this money is because people buy a ticket to go see you, they turn on the TV to go watch you, and if you're not going to do that, then why should we be giving you this amount of money? Now, I'm not saying I believe that. I, I actually have the other side of the coin, which is like everybody's physical and mental health matters. And Which is to, really
1: one and the same. Let's talk. Let's just call it health.
0: Health, yes. Everyone's health matters. And to Savannah's point, if you were to divide it up, one is connected to the other. So let's not ignore the fact that they're connected to each other. That's my personal uh, opinion. But my professional, if I am, you know, if I am an executive at ESPN and I paid X billions of dollars. I want to see the best players play. That's what I paid for. So that my sales team can go out and sell an advertisement. So like therein lies sort of, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Like there's this personal, like this is all what we believe. But Savannah and I talk about this all the time on the pod. And Jen, I know you very well. None of us on this show having this conversation is a socialist. We are all capitalists. So that capitalist viewpoint is, well, I'm paying you to do this.
1: But I mean, we could also take that to corporate, right? Like in corporate, especially in sports, and I'm sure fashion PR as well. It's like, we are so overworked. And I feel like it's becoming more so a a conversation of, of mental health. And I feel like as I'm sure, um, Jen, you can speak to this, like, as a manager, like, that's, that's probably... More so a topic than than it was like maybe ten years ago. Maybe three years ago. Is that something that that you have like top of mind for your your, your direct reports at all?
2: Absolutely. Um, so one, I, I wanted to wrap up, and I, I 100% agree with you, Burton. And I think the the future of what we're going to be considering is does mental health, and I know. You know, all health is health, but we have to distinguish for the purpose of this conversation. Yeah. Does mental health get considered in contracts? Is it part of what athletes are going to be asking for in terms of protections for themselves? The right to cancel a day, to cancel an engagement and not get dinged for it because they're, because of their health, because of their mental health. That's, that's one. Two, I absolutely agree with you. My, corporate opinion and my personal opinion, you know, yes, there's, there's overlap when it comes to this, but I I have to think about it differently when I put my professional hat on. And I do think that it is the onus is going to also be on corporate America and brands to think about how do we, how do we check all of the boxes that we need to check without putting ultimately putting all of the stress on our celebrity partners, athlete partners, because we want them to be happy. And I say this, when I say we, I'm not speaking for PepsiCo. I'm not speaking for Mountain Dew. I'm saying that as any person who works on a brand, you do not want an unhappy partner. Mm -hmm. So it's the onus is going to be on us to also think about what it, how do we approach this in the future in a way that empowers our partners in a different way. And because we don't we're not really beholden to a calendar as tightly as we were before because of social media because of digital because now we're doing things over over zoom there's so many other ways that we can achieve what we need to achieve so do we get a little bit less formal about how we do business with our partners to, to make sure that we prioritize. Jen, that second or maybe, point.
1: or maybe it's a different way that you do business with your partners, right? right? So maybe, maybe it's, it's just a matter of changing strategy, right? Yep. You could still use that athlete, but just in a different way, in a different media way. It doesn't have to and, be.
0: And Jen, to that point, to both of your points, that second point that you made, I think the trend is going to be more and more teams are going to have to invest and a mental health professional. Mm. And teams are doing that they now. They have, I was about that, yeah, to say. Yeah. Teams are have. doing that now. But but it's got to be not a check-the-box yeah. approach. Yep. It has to be – I won't name the athlete, but an NBA player told me when they were in the bubble, mental health professionals were readily available to them. They all got a special app. You, you need to see a professional 24-7 while you were in the bubble. You can hit the app and go see someone. And that same athlete told me his team has hired a mental health professional, a yeah. doctor to, to, to be staffed on the team. But his response to both of those things were, I didn't pick this person. So I'm not that comfortable. I said, like, did you use it? And he said, no, I didn't use it in the bubble. I don't use it with my team because it's not like there, there's not. The approach is right, but the execution or the thought is right, the execution is wrong. Like you got to figure out a way where you make your employees, cuz they're employees, but they're very important employees comfortable with the situation. I mm-hmm. think that's the approach, and I think that that is the compromise between what we're saying the personal stuff yeah. and the capitalist stuff, right? Yep. It's still it's a, it's a reinvestment in your employees doing it this way. And I and, and I think more corporations are doing it as well, but I, I see that as being the best compromise. And I hate using the word compromise, but you know, I'm compromising between personal and, and professional. Yes, yes.
2: And to and to that end, lots of companies and creative companies ad agencies. The ultimate goal is to create work that your partners or celebrity partners are motivated by, not something that you're telling them this is something you have to do. You have to come to work the thing that makes me the most happy is we thought of an idea so dope that it doesn't even feel like work for the story who's coming on set today. They are, it's a pleasure for them to work on it. And that, I think that ultimately is the thing that, that helps propel um, the relationship and keep the relationship healthy. It's when people have to do things according to a specific, you know the specificities of a contract that starts to not feel so fun. But again, capitalists, there are contracts. We work in corporate America, there are contracts and we have to find the, the happy me- medium in, in between. Um, I put a pin in what you said uh, before um, about management and, and how I consider mental health within management. I mentioned earlier that PepsiCo is is an organization I re- respect tremendously because they do value and prioritize the mental health of their employees. I feel valued. I feel like my mental health is valued, not just by the corporation and what they say, but by what my boss says and does and by what her boss says and does. They're incredible. So they set a, an incredible tone for how we move as an organization and as a smaller PR group. So I already have an example of how we move within this organization for how I work with my team or the people that report directly to me. You can't, when I first started managing people, right? Like my first roles where I had people that I got to tell what to do That's what I thought about management was like what I saw on television. You get to like, it's like devil wears Prada. You like throw your fur coat on someone (laughs) and like go get my coffee and like (laughs) tell you what to do. And, and that was like a really irresponsible and uneducated way of looking at management. It's not telling people what to do. It's helping shape their careers. It's having a, a professional relationship where you guys can together and get the work done. Burton earlier, you said, Hey, you really care about the work. I want to find people who I can really care about the work with. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I don't have to be excited to come to work every day. Am I like realistic? Yeah. Some days I'm going to be like, uh, I got a rally today, but most days I wanna, I, I'm thrilled. I, the, the woman that I work with, Jamie, Shout out Jamie Mazzoni. Oh, she's, she's dope. Incredible.
0: She's dope. I met her in Chicago with you. She's so dope.
2: I mean, I love tackling projects with her. Yep. And being a great manager, and I even use that term so loosely because working with Jamie doesn't even feel like being, you know, that she reports into me because she manages up so well that sometimes that relationship just flows in a way where I'm like, maybe you're my boss. Like you're so good at this. Maybe you're my (laughs) boss. I don't know. Um, But her mental health is absolutely important to me and mine to her. And we support each other and we're really, really a team. And I've been lucky in that way that after I figured out what real good management was, after I had half a dozen people quit on me and tell me I was a terrible manager, you know, embarrassing people by publicly telling, you know, reprimanding them and, and really like gross stuff like that. I had to take a look at who I was as a manager. And ultimately, ultimately it's like, don't treat anyone like you wouldn't want to be treated. It's not cool to just be like, you know, if you want to cry, go outside. Like that was the book that was out back in the day, Kelly Tron, who's, you know, this well-known or infamous PR publicist. I mean, a, a fashion publicist would say, and it had nothing to do with caring about your employees. It was everything about caring about the brands. So here I think we've, we flipped it quite a bit or I flipped it quite a bit because you, you have to care about people. You see them more than you see your, I see Jamie when we were face-to-face in the office, I was seeing her more than I was seeing my husband. We were on shoots together. We were, I mean, we could spend 12 hours together and then get home and text. So these are the type of relationships that you nurture and care about and know about people's families and not to make it all mushy, but yes, there's a professional relationship in there, but yeah, mental health absolutely matters. And it affects the work because if your mental isn't there, or if you don't feel like someone cares about you, you don't want to work hard for them. You don't want to work hard with them. You just don't want to work with them. If you feel like someone doesn't care about you, it's done you know, you might as well just give up on the relationship. So it affects every piece. It affects management, leadership, all of it.
0: When did, you, when did you feel like you learned that lesson? Like, was there a moment where you're like, fuck, I'm a terrible manager? Was there that moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, after a couple of people quit on me and I had um, I had a coworker at the time who's one of my really, really great friends now um, who's in my wedding, Sandra Gill. And she pulled me aside. She was, she, she, her, she, her approach is very much like yours. She would hit me <laughs> up and be like, <laughs> Gee, listen, check this out. That's not cool. Like you need to look at it more like this. And she would never, you know, make me feel bad about it. You always have to have, I, I've always had peers in my life and my professional career who I could chop it up and say, yo, give me the real. Am I bugging or Mm -hmm. are they bugging? And we've had real conversations about it. And it just, the proof was in the pudding. It was like, how many people are going to quit on you before you realize the common denominator is you? Yeah, It's not something fun to admit that I was a terrible manager, but I was. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people, because I'm not a shitty person overall, a lot of those people stayed in touch with me and they would write me notes when I left and they would be like, hey, I learned this from you and this was awesome about you and you were really tough in these places. But I did learn from you, but you just happened to be a really crappy manager. <laughs> I pride myself on now not being a crap, crappy manager. I hope Jamie will corroborate that. But, you know, it, it took it took some knocking my head against the wall and probably some people who weren't very happy um, working with me to to learn that. And it's a constant evolution and yep. you have to keep yep. learning and evolving and seeing what works.
0: Yep.
1: So what I'm kind of gathering from good management is it's not about telling your direct reports What to do But it's more so About collaboration And I feel like You almost touched on that As well mm-hmm. When you were speaking About working with athletes As well Like mm-hmm. when you guys Create a dope project together Then they're excited To come into it Um yep. And it feels like That's where we need To go Right Like even like From the collaboration Like of Like you were talking what about do you mean we? from, we?
0: To find we You said we need we, to go.
1: we We as a people The capitalistic society Because at <laughs> the end of the day Like we We feel like it's all about money But at the end of the day your mental affects the money. Yeah,
0: there's a balance, right? We're, and I, I think that's when I say words like compromise, right? There's a balance. I think.
1: But really, <sighs> if you're excited about something, you're going to do a great job. I
0: know. I, I agree with what both of you guys are saying. It's just, we, we all know it's never as simple as that, yeah. right? It's never as. There is always going to be some aspect Can of Can it some, be though? Like, I wish, right? Like, I mean, come on even even this podcast we love doing this podcast how many times have we run into a wall uh doing this podcast yeah. right so like it's great idealistically right uh, i mean shit jen's in love and has a whole family how many times you run into a wall with your husband i mean that's how life works right it's not as simple as like daisies are everywhere so
2: he never I, listens to anything i do so i could literally say anything at this moment and he'd never hear it because he never he doesn't really listen
1: dang and we're running out of time too and i wanted to i wanted to ask you how you manage a, a tribe and a and a main a main job and a side hustle because like that's the goal for me like i'm trying to have like a whole but we'll we'll get into it i'm going to talk to you about it on the side
0: <laughs> and over drinks. Well, okay so let's 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 land on this so jen you teach and you have mentees
2: where, where do you teach by the way I don't teach anymore. I actually miss it so much. I used to teach PR at um Fashion Institute of oh, Technology.
1: Amazing. I did a
2: few semesters there and I and I stopped when I when I started working at Golan. The hours were just mental and I couldn't give my all you yeah. can't skimp in education like yeah. you can't give them
1: so important right
2: you gotta give it all they're giving you're expecting their they're all so you,
0: they're paying for that shit like right so there's the capitalism okay so i was giving used to my teach. full self
2: to my job but i couldn't. Right. Whatever.
0: Right. used to teach i know you have mentees in the industry you have people that report to you jamie all this stuff i know that if i introduce you to someone that was younger to you and and they took to you, you would help them in whatever way. What would be a piece of advice or two pieces of advice to someone who wants to get in public relations, someone who wants to get in public relations in a way that you did, sports, entertainment, that kind of stuff.
1: Fashion, yeah. Yeah,
0: like... You know, we can chalk it up. Definitely, work the door one day. But what would be a piece of advice that you would give to someone in the industry that's maybe just young? Like, forget breaking into the industry; they're already in, but they don't know where they're going yet. What would you give them? What would you give twenty-five-year-old Jen advice about? Whoa, she was a she
1: was a mess. Hot mess. Um. (laughs) I'm like 27, I'm, so I'm
2: like, oh Samantha's shit. Savannah's 27, right? Oh so, <laughs> uh-huh, shit. Yeah. Am I a mess? mess? Am I a mess? Well, I was, I'm 41, <laughs> so I look back at 25 year old Jen and I'm like, yeah, she was a mess. But when I was 25, I was like, Yeah, I got, it all. The yeah, I got, I got yeah, all this That's, that's me yeah, right yeah. now. If so I'm like- 50, I'm sure I'll be like, 41 year old Jenna, no idea what she was doing. Listen to that podcast, I'm cringing. Right, right. Uh, my advice would be to stay curious about everything. Tell me that all the time. Read everything. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to have a meeting with someone, read up on them. If you're pitching media, know what the last five articles they wrote about. Yeah, what are they saying on their Twitter? What are their interests? It, it's relationships are not just about what you want out of things, but also what you can do. Like, how can you serve that person? If you approach relationships like that, and I said I was only going to give you one compliment, Burton, but here comes another one. I think that's how you approach that's how you approach relationships. What can I do for you? You've said it like that to me many times. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Anything you need, I will do. And, and I think that attitude going into PR, instead of trying to serve yourself, because our jobs literally are saying, gimme, gimme, gimme all day to people, to our partners, to media, gimme, 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 I want press, I want you to write this, I want you to write this headline, I need you to land these talking points, I need you to land these key messages in your story. But when you start looking at it as, what does the media need to achieve in this story? What does the journalist need to do in this instance? Um, Then again, it starts to feel like a collaboration to go back to that collaboration word. So be curious, be curious as to how you can serve versus get what you need and check your boxes be curious if you're in an entry-level position. I used to have to stuff envelopes, right? Like send out invitations. And I had intern colleagues who would just stuff the envelopes and not pay attention to what they were putting in the envelopes. And I would read everything. Who is this person? Who's the host committee? Where is it taking place? Have I been to that restaurant? What's this venue? Why this day? And they were, you know, my higher ups are probably freaking sick of me. Like, why does she ask so many questions? Why didn't she just shut up and like do the work, do what I asked her to do. But that's how you learn. That's how you grow. So curiosity is, is the ultimate wake up in the morning. What the hell is happening in the world? Not just in the U S what's happening in Europe. What's happening in Africa what's happening in Asia, tune into BBC news, listen to a freaking podcast, maybe the black box box podcast, <laughs> but listen, consume, be a consumer of yep, media, be I a agree. consumer of everything. Be curious yep. in conversation when you're go to a cocktail party, you know, what do you do and why, mm-hmm. you know, not just what do you do? What company do you work at? Because I need a job.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, and I can say that's great advice for any sports and entertainment role. Like not even just PR, like,
2: that's, I think that's great life
0: advice. I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. 100%. Like, I say this to a lot of my subordinates like, don't you care about what we're actually doing? Like, read it. Mm-hmm. Be yeah. curious about we why get, we're yeah, doing we it. Yeah, we get
1: caught up in the rat race as Americans, as capitalists. So yeah. that's I say, how you Savannah, do I do to you work. all the time.
0: Like, be curious about that. Yeah, this, you're like, right? come curious yeah.
1: to every podcast. Come curious. Right. I'm like, all right, Brian. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jen. But it's true. But it's true. (laughs) It's true. But I I, I get the Google alerts to my phone for all sports, like anything, you know, and it's like, that's how you just stay abreast, like just little things that'll just always be there and it'll pop up. Like when you're not thinking about it, it's in your inbox, it's in your emails, et cetera.
2: And I wasn't always curious. I certainly wasn't. I'll tell a quick story as to how uncurious I was when it came to anything having to do with sports. I went to lunch with... Uh, an agent from uh, CAA, one of the largest sports agencies in the world, and my boss at the time. And we sat there, the three of us, and had lunch. I think we went to Coy in Bryant Park, I think. And I sat there for an hour and change and could not chime in a single word because all they did was talk about sports and what was happening in sports and i was just like who are these people that you're talking about and it's not even like they were rattling stats back and forth they were talking about what was happening in pop culture because sports is pop culture right and i couldn't chime in at all and at that moment i said to myself nope i need to start following some key players in in the sports industry on twitter i need to follow start following along to what's happening when you see that there's a a deficit in your in your professional career, how do you fill that gap? Yep. Start having conversation. I could I could have never done a podcast like this yep. years ago. I right. could have never because sports ball, not my thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I just wasn't into it. I just didn't follow sports. Right. But and like now said, it's part of it's part of my job. And yeah. athletes are driving culture. So you know that's part of curiosity. That's a place where I needed to be curious.
0: Hopefully you got the crispy tuna core. That's the best thing there Oh the best it's the best thing It's not even the like
1: best. I can't even I've never been yeah, crispy rice I've never been I'm big the foodie in New York so. The crispy rice
0: with It's literally two blocks away like, From the studio Wow I'm like, out I'm out the, Yeah if you go to Corey And don't get that Then I don't even want to have Dinner with you I like, don't trust yeah, you Yeah like get, get off the table We can't even finish Is this conversation Is it better than
1: the crispy rice I catch
0: Way better. It's Ooh, not even like comparable.
1: Oh, it's out. not even
0: comparable. I'm like that—that <laughs> that is the best thing I. Cor- Man, I used to use the corporate card like crazy. Yeah, we core. talked about that. Five
1: um, K budget. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the candor. I personally appreciate your friendship. Uh, I you- feel
1: like we're friends after this podcast too. Oh, so. We're so I appreciate your friendship too.
0: Yeah, you—you you dope as fuck. So <laughs> for real. Um. Thank it's
2: you. Fun. And grown-up talk. You know, I'm usually cooing to newborns all day. So is a nice. <laughs> thing okay. See. Take care I'm, of those I'm newborns. I'm not considered as a newborn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> take care of those. those no, she in babies. Infants nine, nine, in the house. Take, take yeah. care of those
0: babies. Change some diapers. Uh, I'll come visit you in the new house soon. Do it. Go Thank for you, Jen. Thank much. Bye. The Black Box Podcast is not possible without the team. The show is produced by Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. Creative director, Alana Rodriguez. Video editor, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. Designed by Lineage Digital.